I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the web is clear, can do, can do. This is Bill Duncliffe. I want to welcome you back to Can Do, the podcast about all things horse racing. Some history, some handicapping, and some humor. We've got a very special edition of our podcast this week. As everyone knows, this is Breeders' Cup weekend, and this is our first annual Breeders' Cup of Palooza. What we're doing for this week's episode is we're gathering a group of our guest handicappers, each of whom is going to give us their breakdown on one of the nine big Breeders' Cup races on Saturday. We're also going to ask them to share some Breeders' Cup-specific big score stories, and we're looking forward to hearing those. Look, every horse player out there knows that these two days of Breeders' Cup races are like Christmas Day. Big fields full of great horses at super prices. So let's see what presents might be waiting under our trees this Saturday and get this party started. All right, so leading us off here is Chris Mello. Chris, uh, who many of us uh, heard from last week, is a Wasabi Stables member. Um, and on last week's podcast, he gave us a nice 10-to-1 winner on Keeneland's closing day. So, Chris, you drew the opening race here, the Philly and Mare Sprint. So um, why don't you tell us uh, what you see in this race? Perfect. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, I was actually uh, pretty excited when I went through the uh, the card itself. Uh, this race in particular, obviously, I think uh, has a lot of opportunity within it. So I'll just go high level, a couple horses, and then ultimately uh, where I landed. So I think the uh, the favorite here, Marley's Freedom, drawing post 13, 8 to 5. You know, hasn't done anything wrong recently. Wouldn't, you know, hate anybody landing on that. Obviously, the price is short for a 14-horse field, but, you know, I can actually see that one drifting up slightly. Uh, on the rail, you have Selcourt, who could be the best horse in the race, just pure talent-wise. Um, I hate rail draws, you mm-hmm. know, at four to one. Yeah. Um, you know, if anything goes wrong, you're, you're you're really doing a lot of work to pick yourself up. So, especially a speed horse, which this one is, right? So, exactly. Yeah, any kind of flat-footedness, and you know, drop your ticket. Yeah. You're in trouble. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then you have Finley's Lucky Charm, Hard Try. I think she'll be one I definitely have on my ticket. Uh, a couple others that I found somewhat intriguing: Me and Mischief and Golden Mischief, both out of Into Mischief. Uh, I think they obviously have uh, a bit of a shot as well. But where I ultimately landed was on the number six horse, Chalone. Um, you know, I really dug in, like I said, I was going through. What I liked about this filly, uh, first thing that stood out, if you look at the buyer figures, they're going up, right? She hasn't been mm. uh, static or, you know, dropping. First race this year, she threw up an 88, came back with an 89, came back with a 91, and then her last race was a 93. Does she need to improve to beat this field? Absolutely. Um, but the way they've been setting her up, she, uh, she's been pretty lightly raced this year, had three races, took about four months off, came back in the Thoroughbred Club of America um, early October. Thought the ride she got was great. Uh, Castellano did a good job, I thought. She was three wide pretty much the entire way around. Mm. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, uh, didn't really seem like she uh, he used her up too too much, especially down the stretch. You know, went to the whip a couple times, but Thank you know, you. it wasn't yeah. uh, anything too crazy. If you look at the same race where Golden Mischief actually won, um, you know, they they used her up a lot. She was being urged going into the turn and all the way down the stretch. So, you know, for me, with everything uh, considered in this race, I think Chalone, you know, will provide some value. I think she's trending in the right direction second off the layoff uh, angle I absolutely love. 
so I'm going to try to uh, make something happen with the six up top, and then I'll use a couple of the horses that I mentioned, Finley's Lucky Charm, especially underneath. You know, try to get lucky with a, uh, you know, trifecta or even a superfecta to uh, to start the day and hopefully enjoy the rest of the Breeders' Cup. <laughs> that will help enjoy the rest of the day, hitting the, the try of the super for sure. You know, Chris, I, I looked at, I took a long look at, at Shalone also because I think I mentioned to you earlier, I really respect the trainer, Arnaud Delacour. Um, but you said something really interesting. I noticed the same thing watching the replay of the um, TCA. He did not use the horse at all on the stretch. Like this, you said, maybe one or two whip taps, um, but there was very little on the whip. He was not pushing that horse hard. And 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 Delacour is a, a savvy trainer, and I would not be surprised if he said to Javier before the race, you know, ride the race, you know, see how she does, but don't try and get to the bottom of her in this race because we've got a bigger target in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, looking back on it, I think it clearly set up as a as a prep race for this particular spot. Um, you know, came out of the gate pretty good, I thought. Just rode herself around the entire track. I think Javier, like I said, did a great job of letting the horse do its job. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think they wanted to, uh, to use her up, as you said. You know, the win, I don't think, was necessarily that important that yeah. particular day. Um, you know, bigger fish to fry come this Saturday. So hopefully this six gets us home, and hopefully we can uh, go two for two on the podcast. I'll have to uh, do this every week if, uh, if that's the way it's going, just for my own benefit. They'll be beating down the doors to have you, Chris, if you go two <laughs> yeah, for two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, uh, I know that you've got a great uh, big score story, too, that you had uh, not too many years back, right? Do you want to tell us about that one quickly? Yeah, sure. I'll definitely try to go through it pretty quick. It was actually a couple of years ago, uh, 2016 Breeders' Cup. Uh, it was actually the early pick four, so hoping to uh, carry that over. Um, you know, Breeders' Cup, like I said, huge field, so I think uh, you have opportunity. I try not to stretch myself too thin as far as ticket goes, so if I remember, it's probably you know somewhere in the $50, $60 range uh, that I spent for that particular pick four, and I had a single, at least, that I felt pretty good on. So I'll, I'll hit on the races pretty quickly. Uh, and then there's an interesting kind of uh, wrinkle in the middle of this that okay. I'll Good. fill the folks in on. So the first race was Juvenile Phillies. I, that was actually the race I was the most deep in. I think I had six or seven horses. Uh, I always put my tickets in early just so I can get myself prepared, have a chance to look back once or twice. And in this case, what I noticed about 30 minutes beforehand that there's actually someone on Twitter that I follow really closely and someone I respect and think is a great horse player. They were talking champagne room up and down uh, for a week. Hmm. So, you know, I was like, you know what I got to do? I got to make sure this horse is on a ticket. I canceled my TVG ticket about 30 minutes, 20 minutes before post time, put champagne room in, and, you know, the rest was history. I knew as soon as that hit, it was about a $70 winner. Hmm. That If this thing hit, it should be pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So next race went into the Philly and Mia Turf. Again, this one was a little tough for me. Um, luckily, I did have Queen Stress who won. The story of this race, if you, everyone remembers, is Lady Eli. You know, great horse. Right. It's a right. great story. And, of course, being the idiot that I am, I didn't have her on my ticket. Um, so I was almost torn. It was like, you know, Lady Eli, it's such a great story, and hopefully, you know, she does well. But, you know, losing by a head or losing by a <laughs> neck in second, I wouldn't hate either. So got out of that race and uh, was pretty excited about it. Moved on to the sprint, and this is where my single came in. It was a small field, if you remember, I think, Dre Fong. Mm. Um, masochistic, if I remember, who ultimately got DQ'd, I believe, failed a, a drug test, if I 
if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, that's right. That's right. AP Indian um, was in the race as well. You know, Drew Fong was the it horse at that time. I probably just felt sucker to it. And luckily, you know, when they came out of the gate, it looked like a match race between Dre Fong and Masochistic. I think Mind Your Biscuits, if I remember correctly, may have been uh, the horse that was coming from behind. Yeah. I could be wrong on that. No, no, but, you're right. Uh, you know, luckily, Dre Fong came home three for three. So at this point, I know what my will pays are going to be. I think I'm about three or four deep in the last race. This is where it gets a little interesting. I committed to a one-year-old birthday party that day. So what I had to do was as soon as that Dre Fong race became official, sprinted to the car, went to the party, called my buddy on the way to make sure that the TV downstairs was on NBC. I needed to watch this race for this pick four. Got there with about five minutes of spear. Not to prolong it anymore. It was a, a great race. Obviously went wire to wire. Uh, ohm was the horse that was charging yes. was not on the ticket yep um so it gave me a couple uh couple seconds i felt pretty good about it but as soon as it went official i was about eight thousand dollars richer that particular day so it was a great start and i still had the rest of the breeders cup to go fortunately it wasn't the best of afternoons for me but uh <laughs> you know it's something I'm, I'm happy to be able to share with the group you know as long as you put a ticket in uh you have a chance so Probably the greatest one-year-old birthday party you ever went to, uh, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was good, for sure. There was a group of our friends that were downstairs huddled. The uh, wives, girlfriends, and the kids were uh, upstairs, but they definitely knew when that race was over, for sure. <laughs> I always like to say, Chris, everyone knows when I want to race, so uh, yeah. <laughs> I can appreciate it. <laughs> That's terrific, Chris. I appreciate it. All right, so joining us now is Kelly Lawless. Kelly is a three-time National Handicapping Championship contender, and I believe it's going to be a fourth time uh, by the time uh, December 31st rolls around. And she is the astute creator of the Kelly Picks Handicapping Analysis Tool, which we'll talk about actually in a later interview on the podcast. Um, so, Kelly, you have drawn the notoriously difficult turf sprint. What are Kelly Picks? What is the Kelly Picks data telling you about this always difficult race? Uh, well, Kelly Picks, uh, uh, you know, it struggles with the Euros uh, included, uh, but in this instance, it uh, uh, put number 13, Will Call, on top, gave it 53 points. Okay. Gave the Trouble, number 11, uh, 48 points. And then uh, Hembry, number 3, 47 points. And then the Philly Ruby Notion, 44, and Stormy Liberal was down to 44. And then the rest of the field. So I thought that was kind of interesting. <clears throat> and again, uh, one of the things that it focuses on is uh, home tracks and uh, mm -hmm. uh, recent win performance. So I'm not surprised with the results. Uh, and uh, I kind of uh, like the, the world of trouble. <clears throat> it was the one that uh, caught my eye. But uh, this is a, definitely a Peter Miller, Jason Service uh, race. Uh, and, you know, being down in Kentucky, I can tell you it's been quite soggy down here. <laughs> so I, I use that to influence um, my position here in terms of really focused on horses that uh, like the, the soft and soggy going. <clears throat> Well, you know, and, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, first of all, I think, I think a lot of people like World of Trouble, and I, I, I'm not sure that horse is going to be the six-to-one morning line. But, you know, unusually in the turf sprint, it 
doesn't look to me, and I think this is probably why you like World of Trouble, at least in, you know, maybe, uh, you know, underneath with your, with your top pick. But um, it does not look like there's a ton of front-running speed in this turf sprint. Would you agree with that? Uh, for the most part. I mean, there, there are, uh, you know, four front-running style horses, uh, you know, overall that I could see in the race. Uh, but uh, the thing that I really, really liked about uh, World of Trouble is that all of his four sprints were won by a total of 34 lengths. I mean, when you think sprints, you don't (laughs) think about horses that can, you know, demolish the field. Uh, You know, you really figure it's it's pretty tight. You think that's that's pretty good. I really love those. Every time time the track has been moist, uh, he has won. And that is true on both turf and dirt, correct? Yep. And then the other one was, uh, the other thing I really liked was Irad. It looked like he had a choice of four different mounts, and he took this one, which, you know, uh, I think is pretty intriguing. <clears throat> that and does say something. Of course, I'm scared because he's a front runner, and, of course, uh, I looked at the history of the race, and they said that it's typically won by a four- or a five-year-old, <clears throat> and this one's a three-year-old. So that, that's a little troubling. But, uh, and of course, what drives me nuts is one of my favorite angles was, is always last year's winner. And, uh, Stormy Liberal has a nice stalking style and a a closing uh, kick, but, uh, I just don't know, you know, he doesn't really seem to love the off, off going as much as World of Trouble. I noticed the same thing. And I agree with you. I think he'll get that down to five to one, uh, maybe a little bit lower. No, but your top pick is Will Call, correct? The 13, right? So to, yeah, uh, but I'm not going to put him in, in my, uh, <clears throat> on my ticket. Um, and again, you remember that Kelly picks is all really just data driven and doesn't include every factor. Okay. okay. Um, so as a result, I, I really like uh, world of trouble, <clears throat> I think on top. And then, uh, I, you know, I can't discount stormy liberal, <clears throat> but I, I actually like Aiden O'Brien's lost treasure. Uh, and, uh, okay. for the Phillies, I really liked, uh, Chanceline. Uh, I think that uh, she might have a <clears throat> a shot. And, you know, one of the things that I was looking at uh, is that uh, she ran the uh, fastest five-and-a-half furlong race of all the horses in this field. Uh, two back, she finished uh, one minute, four-fifths seconds, just a little bit faster than uh, one of the other horses in the field. So I was like, hmm, that's pretty interesting for uh, Philly. You I be, love yeah. seeing Phillies against the boys, but... Uh, None of them have, neither of the two have run against the boys before. Yeah, you see that happen a lot more in Europe than you do over here, the Phillies running against the boys. And and, and I agree. I like to see when they do. Um, I like your thought about, you know, look, last year's winner. I I always look, if there's last year's winners in the race, I always like to look at it. Um, Interesting, you did not mention Disco Partner, and I'm wondering why you did not mention that one. Uh, actually, you know, I, I can't say that, well, uh, my first thought was uh, to favorite. Uh, and then I really, uh, I'm concerned, uh, yes, he had a good uh, performance on his last race, on a, a kind of a semi-off going, it was a good track, six furlongs, he had IRAD. But well, I think the most intriguing thing I thought with Disco Partner is that IRAD got off of him in uh, 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 Joel. Yeah. Joel. Rosario was on him, and he won the, the uh, race last year. Yep. It's like, hmm, interesting. Uh, you know, he uh, <clears throat> uh, has been doing very well. You know, great, great buyers. I, I don't think that it's impossible. You know, he's great for the turf, won pr- practically 50% of his races. So, on turf. 
uh, and he's got a good turf trainer. But uh, I don't know. I, I just, you know, my, my biggest focus really was looking at, I, I, you know, I, I mark up all the sheets. And so the, one of the first things I did was mark up everything that was good, soft, yielding, yeah. good, yep. soft. Uh, and then I also looked at, you know, I, I always circle who's coming first. And, you know, if you draw the line across, um, the best performance, uh, just following those two simple markings was a uh, world of trouble. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, like at Saratoga this summer, you know, if you were prepping a couple of days ahead, you never knew if you were getting rain or not. So what to do with the turf? Are going to be on the turf? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be yielding? Whatever. But, you know, there's no question that they are going to be on the turf for the turf race on Saturday. First of all, you can yeah. count on that. Second of all, uh, they have gotten a ton of rain down there. So I did the very same thing you mentioned. I think that's a great idea. It's just, you know, you got to look at every performance, right? But you got to pay special attention to the ones that are on the good or the yielding or the, or the soft. And, you know, how did they handle that? And and actually, I noted that in Disco Partner's case, some of his worst performances have been on less than firm ground. You know, he's had very few bad performances let's face it right but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um Absolutely. you know the 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 ones that have been less than stellar um you know the four star day was a mile last year um the uh but the shaker town uh you know at five and a half on the soft going he was only able to negotiate third i'm also intrigued by aiden o'brien's uh you know he's you know it's the, this race has always been won by american horses but you know it's turf mm-hmm. uh, we know how the euros do and uh, we also know how Aiden does. And this horse, you know, when you talk about changes, he's going all weather to turf. He's taking his blinkers off, and he's getting Lasix for the first time. Yep. Uh, so I think he's going to be pretty scary. And another one that scares me is uh, Richard's boy. I mean, Mr. Seconditis. Right. But he's getting right. Paco Lopez back, yep. which, you know, the last mm. two times they've been together is one two. So, you know, I think that maybe his uh, – uh, you know, the only thing that I knock I had was the, uh, again, you know, not the, the best uh, performance in the off going. But know. second off, and, and there's something to be said for, you know, second off to lay off. You know, the other thing about Lost Treasure, too, uh, Kelly, the Aiden O'Brien horse uh, that is interesting and, you know, uh, you always got to look at this factor when it's this significant. He's dropping 13 pounds from his last race. So, you know, if he feels a little lighter, that might be enough to make the difference. Um, yeah, come uh, both the Euros are getting an awesome, yeah. awesome break. So I can't wait. I am so excited. This is just going to be an awesome couple of days. Oh, it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. Listen, uh, thank you very much. All right, we're turning to the dirt mile now, and joining us to handicap this race is Matt Packard. Matt, you will recall earlier in our season, talked about his seventy to one shot, uh, Galliana. That was a big score for him at Saratoga. Um, hoping for a big score here in the dirt mile on paper. You know, it's one of those races that looks fairly formful, but Matt has never been afraid of paper. So, um, Matt, uh, you want to give us your read of the race? Sure, Bill. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, uh, no 70 to one shot this time. Uh, I, I do think this race is, is uh, fundamentally a match race between uh, city of light and, and, uh, Catalina cruiser. So, what I'm going to do is just talk briefly about the others, and I'll focus on those two. Okay. Trigger warning, I, I don't think, is a fit on either speed or class. I, I do think the jockey change to Santana is significant from a pace perspective. I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, the three isotherm, to me, doesn't fit in this race. Uh, windless on the dirt, not particularly well-bred for the dirt relative to turf, and 
I just don't think belongs. In fact, I'm going to say I would not be surprised to see this horse scratch, which I'll talk about again a little later. Uh, seven trumpets, again, I don't think fast enough. Not, uh, has run well in a grade one, but I think is up against it, uh, against grade one winners and some of the some of the speed in this race. Awesome slew, likewise, I don't think is a great fit on speed or class, and I don't see how this horse uh, wins. Seeking the Soul, I think, is an interesting horse. Six one morning line. Uh, certainly, if he runs back uh, to some of his earlier performances, kind of this time last year, uh, could contend. But I think so. My analysis of the the way the race is going to set up, I think he's going to be too far back and have too much work to do. And, I, and I'm not at all convinced that either uh, Catalina Cruiser or City of Light are going to uh, really uh, let up in the stretch. I think I think they're going to mm. they're going to keep rolling both. So I just don't see that one getting there. Uh, Friends Fire, again, you know, if he runs back to the Dwyer, he, he could win. Uh, but I but I think, I, so this horse is tactical, which I like, has won from near near the front end from off the, off the speed. But I think if he if he goes out, I think he's going to get outrun. And if he hangs back and tries to make up ground, I, again, I just don't think those other two mm. are going to slow up enough. For, so I, I don't like his chances, actually, although I can understand people backing him, certainly being three out of four at the distance. And, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Bravazo, again, two out of three at the distance, win at Churchill, uh, but I, I'm not sure fast enough, and I'm not sure is a, is a fit as uh, a, a three-year-old that uh, is only a grade two winner in restricted company, right, restricted three-year-old. So, uh, giant expectations 15 to one. If I was going to take a, a long shot on the race, I, I think I might take a second look at that one. Uh, I, I think this was, this ACAC was a prep, and, Still ran pretty well, and so I could see this one making some noise. But I, but I think this horse is going to be sent again. I think that'll be a pace problem. So I, mm. I don't love that one's chances, although I think the price will be right. All right. So with that, I'm going to turn to Catalina Cruiser, um, and and then to City of Light. So the read on Catalina Cruiser, I think, is the key to this race. Seven to five morning line. Yeah. And at first glance, I was thinking this horse was going to be a single, and I'm, I'm kind of a uh, the kind of horse that you just, uh, you know, maybe make a big win bet on and, and single in the in the multi-race wagers. But on further review, I think there are enough questions. So I'll, I'll go through some of that, Bill. Um, so first of all, you know, the horse has done nothing wrong. Four, four for four, two grade two wins. But when I really drill down on those two grade two wins, you know, look, there's a chance this horse could just be, could just be a monster and just run off this race. But uh, the San Diego, you know, I'm sure you picked up on this, but he he only he only beat five, uh, four horses yeah. and was you know pretty much loose on the lead. It, it begs the question: Who who did he really beat? Now he did beat Doctor Door handily in that race, and that and that's a legitimate racehorse. Uh, but you do have to wonder about those five scratches. And then comes back to the to the Paddle Grand again. There's four scratches in that race. Only beats three horses. Mm. Uh, wins by open legs, but. Um, did beat Battle of Midway again handily, and Battle of Midway, you know, sounds familiar, right? Because sure. the, he happened to win the the Dirt Mile the previous couple last yep. year, right? So, so if, you know, there are people out there that love comparison handicapping, and by that measure, you could say that that Catalina Cruiser wins this race easily, right? But I, that's not my my style of handicapping, so I'm not going to buy into that. Um, so, you know, there's there's no, nothing wrong with the horse, but but I but I I do think that. There are enough question marks. The other thing I, I don't like, Bill, is I don't like the fact that they didn't they didn't work them locally. Yeah, I, I would on that one much too. prefer to see that local yep. work. Right. So, so that's why I think that this horse can be beat. Although we we haven't seen his best race, he's going to step up here. I'm convinced, but um, perhaps not enough. 
And with that, I'll turn to City of Light, 3 to 1 morning line. This, this is my pencil, and, and uh, again, most of I know him this time, but, uh, but I, I do like this horse a lot. So if you look at, uh, so first of all, grade one winner has beaten a really good company. Mm-hmm. Uh, beat, Excel, beat Accelerate earlier in the year, right? And did that from the 11 post. Now Accelerate was in the 10 post, so they both were, were doing some extra work and finished yep. one too. But yep. um, nonetheless, beat, beat the horse. Uh, the other thing I guess I, you could question about City of Light is why is why is he not in the the classic, right? I, my read on that is if you look at that uh, hmm. at the Gold Cup, mm-hmm. I, I don't think the horse got really got the mile and a quarter, and I, and I think I don't I don't think they're running away from Accelerate as much as they are. Just, just think it's it's a, maybe a panel too long. Or is a better fit? Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that too. Yeah, yep. yep. Yeah, and my other read on him is that he's been um, running from outside posts mm. and. And, and winning or and, or contending, so uh, so I think this horse uh, is going to get the benefit of the rail. I think he's fast enough to um, to run with uh, with Catalina, and I like Cast- the change to Castellano. Now, obviously, not, no knocks against Irad or, or yeah. Van Dyke, but but I really like Castellano. I think he's going to have a tactical advantage here on the rail. I think he's fast enough to hold position into the turn, and I also think there's enough other speed in here. So I think trigger warning, I, I do believe that Santana's going to send trigger warning. Uh, no question in my mind Chandra, about that one. I agree with you. You, you think so too? Yeah. I yeah. Agree. Okay. Yep. yep. I think giant expectations is being sent. I think Ferenc Fire may be. And so, you know, this, this is a very long run into the turn. And for me, uh, a wide post position is most compromised by a short run into the turn. So, uh, you know, hypothetically, Catalina Cruiser could, could, you know, run fast enough to make a, a straight line to the top of the turn and, and save ground. But, but I don't think so. I think he's going to get, at the very least, have to work his way around some horses to get there. So I anticipate City of Light being on the lead into the turn. I anticipate uh, Catalina Cruiser coming up to, to his shoulder. I think they're going to be, you know, head-to-head around the turn to the stretch, and, and they're going to be, you know, eyeball-to-eyeball at the top of the stretch, I think, and we'll see who's who's got the chops to me, I think it's city of light just because he's, he's a, you know, he's a hard knocking yeah. grade proven grade one horse. Right. So face, that's face tougher for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 So not a big price, but I think the way I, I'm going to play, obviously going to look at the odds, but I'm going to, I think I'm going to have a, a fairly big win bet on city of light. And I think this is one of those circumstances where, you know, the, if the, uh, if the exactly with those two is paying, you know, even eight bucks, I think it's going to be a good bet. And I may end up with a cold exact, you know, city of light Catalina. We'll, we'll see. But um, that's the way I see the race. And I think that's, that's going to be the bet here. Uh, you know, and again, again, I just couldn't find a price. On this one. So I finally learned after 20 years, not to certain courses <laughs> you don't bet into. And I think there's, I think there's two of them in this race. 20. I'm, I'm hoping to get, I'm going to figure it out by the time I'm in it 30 or 40 years, but I don't think I will yet. Uh, um, you know, but what you're saying is an interesting point too, because it does argue as well for looking at the horizontal wagers as well, right? If you really believe that you can single one or the other, or maybe even just right. skinny it down to those two, um, you know, why not, uh, take a shot? I, I don't think city of light actually needs the lead either. Um, you know, it, in a funny way, Matt, I think that trigger warning is kind of the wild card in this race. I mean, what is the horse doing there if they don't send him? You know, I mean, <laughs> it just, you know, right. um, he's there right. to get an early call so the trainer can say to his buddy, or the owner can say to his buddy, he's like, I, you know, my horse was in the lead for a nanosecond uh, in a Breeders' Cup race. Um, I, I don't think City of Light right. needs the lead and, and has definitely shown the professionalism to um, sit off a pace and uh, 
and and close. And I, I'm kind of leaning across where I'm with you. Uh, never never raced outside of California, correct? So this is right. going to be different. Um, and if like if if uh, if he wins, he beat both of us. So I, I I like your analysis, Matt. I appreciate it. I know um, too. You uh, going back uh, sometime. You had a pretty nice big score uh, in one of the. Uh, Great Breeders' Cup races of all time, I think, or at least one of the great horses in the Breeders' Cup, uh, as far as I'm concerned, of all time. You want to tell us about it real quick? Sure, yeah. So uh, the the horse that uh, I wanted to talk about a little bit was Invasor. Uh, so the 2006 uh, Breeders' Cup Classic was, was just a, a terrific field, uh, and kind of the kind of field that we don't really see anymore due to the, to the older horses going to the breeding shed, right? But you had Lava Man in there. You had... Um, Perfect Drift, uh, Sun King, uh, Flower mm. Alley. Uh, it was just a tremendous field. And Bernardini, I think, was was easily the best of the three-year-olds. And uh, uh, so clearly, I think, you know, was deserving of, of being one of the favorites. But Invasor was a horse who had uh, been bought by Shad, the Shadwell Barn for $1.4 million, uh, had won the Triple Crown in Uruguay for whatever that, that was worth to you. And so they brought him in. He, he won three grade ones in a row against, you know, older horses. Pimlico special was Suburban and the Whitby. And so going into that race, I actually felt he was the better horse and, and was the deserved, deserved to be the odds-on favorite. And part of one of my angles there, which is actually kind of funny in hindsight, is that he, he had had trouble at the start uh, in both the Suburban and the Whitney. And I projected that if he got, got off cleanly in the Classic, that he was just going to be a monster. Now, of course, he, as fate would have it, he uh, you know, bobbled at the start and ended up being seven wide <laughs> in the classic. Uh, but he went off at seven to one. Uh, Bernardini made a beautiful winning move, really, uh, at, at the end of the turn and to, and to, to take the lead going into the stretch and really just looked fantastic, uh, you know, even you know, halfway down the stretch. But Invisor mm-hmm. uh, just came along and, and just kept grinding and, and wore him down. It really was being let up at the wire. It was really, you know, really much the best. And so, you know, this wasn't a huge price. It was seven to one, and uh, that uh, the exact uh, uh, with Bernardini paid forty dollars, and I, I think I had it seventy-five times. I had either hundred or hundred and fifty dollars exact the box, nice. and I had a couple hundred dollars to win at seven to one, which I thought was a huge overlay on the source. So, so you know, again, not a big price, but but uh, the right read and, and a good outcome. So, Listen, you know, that's the one that stands out for me. Breeders' yeah. Cup Day. Uh, I've said this to many people. You know, you get great horses at great prices. I mean, I, I would bet that you'd have to go a long way back if to ever find 701 on Invisor, uh prior to that race, right? I mean, uh, the only question, you know, look, the, the reason why he was 701 that day was he had taken some time off because of an illness and everyone was like, well, is he going to be the same horse coming back or whatever? But right. Kieran McLaughlin has always been pretty good uh, and, and was very good at the time at bringing horses back off of layoffs. And, um, um, yeah, look, uh, so you said not a great price. Seven to one on a great horse like that is a great price. Um, that's it is. And, uh, and, and one more, one more quick thing on that one, Bill. To your yep. point about the layoff, they supplemented him for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to get him in the race. Oh, so that told me that that and I was and I had that was part of my read was that if they did that, they must have thought he was right, and they weren't going to put that money into the race. That is so. a very why. Why didn't you tell me that? By the way, why didn't I know you then? Actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, hey, Matt, listen, that's terrific. Uh, this is good stuff. Um, looking forward to the Breeders' Cup. I know you are, too. Go out there and uh, make a lot of money, all right? All right. Thanks, Bill. Always a pleasure. 
So joining us now to talk about the Philly and Mayor turf, or as I like to call it, the Chad Brown Invitational, is Jamie Michelson of the Handicapping Michelsons from the Motor City, kind of like the cow seals, uh, singing cow seals, except better, right, Jamie? Correct. <laughs> so, uh, Jamie, like I, you know, I jokingly called it the Chad Brown Invitational, but of course he's loaded it up with four horses in here. Um, but what do you look at? What, what do you see when you look at the race? Well, I mean, I, I guess first I see that it's the Maker's Mark Philly and Mare Turf now, so tells you what I was drinking, I guess. <laughs> uh, and I mean, the first, really, the first thing I see besides that is mile and three eighths because it is different distances in different years. Right. And that we know with Midwest weather, the, the turf's going to have some give in it. And then you've got that horse. I hope I pronounce it right. They being entered to ensure there's some pace. Some pace it right. Like there wasn't exactly much of any. Yep. Uh, but I'm, I, so I'm with all of what Mr. Chad Brown has. And it reminds me of when I was, much younger going to the early breeders cups when Lucas used to have lots of entrance. Yep. Uh, I'm going with a European horse, not a huge surprise probably. Uh, but number 14, Zira. I just think it's perfect distance for her. The post doesn't really matter because Frankie Vittorio just dropped back. She runs from way behind. And I see her making that kind of great fun blanket finish furious, late run in a turf race. That That is really interesting you mentioned that one because that is the one that jumped out at me too. And I'll, I'll be shocked if we get 15 to 1. Yeah. 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 Maybe half that. Yeah. Maybe half that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you uh, look at, uh, you know, if Enable was in this race, would Enable win it? Yeah. And she finished, what, yeah. uh, you know, a few lengths behind Enable. Uh, sea of Class, another good one who just ran behind Enable in the arc. You got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I, I went, I, I went and watched video of her last race. She ran great. She ran really well against Sea of Class, and and just also ran on that race. This was outclassed, and Sea of Class would probably be a big favorite in this race. Yeah, and and you know it's it's interesting too, um, Jamie. You know one of the things we've heard uh, more over the last several years, in particular, is that the European trainers have tended to send over their horses that are going to do better on firm ground. Uh, you know, over to the, the U.S. Breeders' Cup, of course. Maybe they changed their plan up this year, knowing that it's at Churchill and the weather was likely to be off. But Azira has run very well, as you know, on yielding and on soft ground. So um, it's likely what she's going to see on Saturday, right? Yeah, yeah. And then with with Chad Brown of his many entrants, my favorite one is to be sort of round out the exact or uh, maybe upset is four star crook. Uh, she's just hard hitting, and I think pointed to this and and. You know, I use thoroughgraphs and look at pedigrees and stuff, and just she looks really solid. And Sister Charlie does nothing wrong with it. For some reason, don't see her winning it. Uh, well, you look, do wrong. Yeah, you look at Four Star Crook and what, in the exact uh, last five? It's always there. Yeah, yeah, six, six out of the last seven uh, would be a, a great victory, uh, even a placement for uh the state bread, uh, the New York state bread crowd, right? They would love to see that. Right. Um, and that was that was an impressive win in the four star crook, and and uh, she was not letting she was not going to let anybody else go by her that day either. So, um, and actually, the New York uh, was the one I was thinking of that that day. She wasn't letting anybody go by her. Um, now that had a huge 
that was a crazy pace in this race. You know how often you see horses sixth by twenty six yeah. at the at the call, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I it, look. And she's yeah. been closer in her last couple than that one. Yeah, because you can't come from way way out of it. And and you know, wild illusion. That horse is an improving three year old, but I I just see her more as a miler. I wasn't too crazy about that one when I looked at the race either. I, I was not uh, as impressed there. And, you know, for whatever reason, I think in this case, the, a three-year-old, um, I, I think she's going to be up against it a little bit. I really do. Uh, and that's that's why I was on a zero-two, a four-year-old. Um, uh, you know, the other thing, in, in, too, about four-star crooked as far as running out the exact, I, these these turf marathons that are two turns, the horse is going to be able to save ground, and that's a big deal. You but, got it. Yeah. And I, I look for that and – Hope for that and look for that. And yeah. Put two, my top two can hopefully both do that. And it should be an exciting race. I don't, and I'm kind of glad I picked this one. Well, I, I like to pick Jamie. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and uh, listen, thank you for doing this. We appreciate it. We appreciate your being a guest uh, as well. And uh, we will uh, talk again soon. My pleasure. Enjoy the day. I'll All talk right. to you afterwards. All right. Great. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Paul. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. All right, so joining us right now is John McCarthy. John grew up in the shadow of Saratoga Racecourse, and uh, someday I know, uh, John, you and I are going to sit down and have a long talk about how you ever picked out our Kong to wager on in the 1993 Classic. But uh, <laughs> I want to know that you pulled it out of somewhere other than your uh, you know, pocket, let's say. Well, I think it was Jerry Bailey. We've talked about him before. <laughs> there hey. you go. Okay, well, that was a good pick then. That was That's a good angle. That's a good angle. So, John, you're going to review this year's Breeders' Cup Sprint with us, right? I am. I am. Looking forward to it. The floor is yours. Okay, well, let's first see who decided not to run in the race. Uh, Several weeks ago, I was looking at who might go in the race and try to track who who was entered and who's going to run. And I just find it interesting as we set the tone for the race that uh, horses like Ferenc Fire uh, is going to choose to run in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, service winning at 32%. He's racing for a million dollars uh, instead of the $2 million mm. person in the Breeders' uh, Cup Sprint. He'll be 6-1 to one in that race morning line. Happy like a fool, Wesley Ward's horse um, decided to go into the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. Uh, that's, again, at the million-dollar race, uh, morning line at 20-1. to one. Wesley Ward's winning at 24%, so I think he wisely chose not to come into this race. Mind Your Biscuits, who's run well in this race two mm. consecutive years, 2016-2017, um, finished third in both uh, versions of the sprint, has decided to go in the $6 million classic, uh, listed at the 6-1 to one morning line uh, choice. Seven trumpets, Dale Rahmans, who trains Promises Fulfilled, decided to put that horse in the Breeders' Cup dirt mile at 15-1. to one. And then the, the other one that I think is, uh, I'm not sure if it's an injury, but Jorge Navarro decided not to race XY Jet. XY Jet ran a big race at Dubai mm-hmm. earlier in the year, finished uh, second to mind your biscuits and will not be racing in this race. So um, with that, I think that this is a very salty field that is going postward. And uh, if I can, I'll just go through them in order of post position and yeah. uh, share my thoughts on the handicapping. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks, John. Okay. Uh, well, let's start with Whitmore, who I think ran a very nice race in the Phoenix. Um, uh, a nice race, but not good enough. Uh, no real excuse to why the horse uh, didn't win the race. I thought, uh, Whitmore had dead aim on promises fulfilled. Um, and I think that while Whitmore is 12 for 13 in the money at this distance, ran well in the Phoenix, um, but he couldn't go by the winner. Uh, 
And the other concern I have about Whitmore, although I think the horse has a chance, anytime a horse is, you know, is 12 for 13 at a distance, um, there's a consistency there that I like. And I think the horse has been working out of Churchill Downs and is probably going to be very good. But I'm concerned that this trainer-jockey combination is only one for 41 at Churchill Downs. The two-horse promise is fulfilled. The only three-year-old in a race. Mm-hmm. I like this horse. I think he's found a lane. I think Dale Romans has, has, has found a lane with this horse um, as a sprinter. He's been very, very good. He was very, very game in all of his three wins uh, as of late. His uh, win in the Amsterdam was impressive. His win in the Jerkins was impressive. And, and, the, and the Phoenix, it may just be that he was really, really good, and that's why Whitmore couldn't go by him. Um, so uh, I want to say that with promises fulfilled, I think he is, this horse is two for two at the distance and, uh, you know, has won 60% of his lifetime races. So I have to keep him alive on the ticket. Um, The three horse B squared, um, I just don't see this horse. I just don't see any conditions. He has to race the Churchill Downs. I think that's a wild card for horses that haven't raced over that surface. And I'll talk about that with this four horse Warriors Club because I had the opportunity once to, speak with Wayne Lucas at the Jim Dandy bar in Saratoga. Oh, okay. And he was talking Great. about, yeah, he was talking about getting horses ready and conditioning horses for big races. And he made a comment about Churchill Downs that if you go and race a horse there, you want to get your horse there and get at least 30 workouts over the track because the surface is different. The muscles that the horses use are, are a little bit different. And he said, just picture training on turf and then running on the beach and then trying to run back. You'll use muscles you haven't used, and you could be sore. And his position was, uh, you know, you either ship in and race, or you ship in and get your horse consistent workouts over the track awesome. so that the muscles have had a chance to uh, address and, and, and adjust to the conditions. So um, that's why I, I, it, my long shot that I'll keep alive in here on the Superfected ticket <laughs> is Warriors <laughs> Club. And it's really just because I'd love to see Wayne Lucas um, be relevant again. Um, you know but I, I don't I, I don't think he's ready to win, Bill, uh, this race. I think he ran a nice second-place finish in, in the Vanderbilt to the favorite in, uh, in the race, Imperial Hint. But um, I don't know. Do you Have you looked at this horse much, and do you think he's got a shot? It's more that I'm looking at Wayne Lucas. I feel like the guy is going to upset one of these races this weekend. Um, and I'm actually probably leaning a little bit more towards Bravazzo in the mile than Warriors mm-hmm. Club here. Uh, but he has a habit, it seems like, the last few years of, of hitting with some big numbers when you least expect it. I'm kind of going to keep Warriors Club alive a little bit and uh, see if I can get him uh, on the ticket. I do think he ran a very nice second to Imperial Hint, which kind of rolls into the favorite, Imperial Hint. Mm. This is a really, really fast horse. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, But I think, like promises fulfilled, I think he needs the lead. And so... I think this could be a really great Breeders' Cup sprint because I think you'll see Saez, who has come into his own over the past couple of years. He's ridden very well down at Florida. He, I think he had a he's had a good meet um, in uh, you know if you look at his he's winning at seventeen percent, which you know in the in the tracks that he's racing, that's not an easy thing to win at that level. Um, I, I think he's going to give that horse a very good ride. I think you can't take anything away from J.J. Castellano. He's um, among the best of all time. He's, he's a proven commodity. This horse is 10 for 11 um, at this distance, um, 3 for 4 if it comes up wet. Now, one of the things in terms of preparing for the race, um, 
you know, it's raining. It's been raining down mm -hmm. at Churchill Downs the last few days. Forecast for Saturday is pretty good. But if there's a lot of moisture in that track, um, I do like to see how horses might be able to yeah. run uh, with some moisture in that track. And uh, Imperial Hint has had the opportunity to race four times on wet tracks and uh, won three of the four races. So, yeah. I mean, this yeah. horse is, is a deserving uh, morning line favorite. Uh, I'm going to try to beat him. And I, I and like I, that, John. I, I like think, your spirit. <laughs> I'm going to try to beat him because uh, because I think while he 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 fits as the favorite, I think this is a tough tough race. And if Promises Fulfilled goes, and and I think Promises Fulfilled is an improving three year old, I think we're going to see if this horse stays sound, we're going to see this horse be a really great sprinter. Um, I think he's becoming a great sprinter, and I don't know if, like I said, if. Whitmore just flattened out and hung, or whether Thomas and Phil just dug in and wouldn't let Whitmore mm -hmm. go by. So um, I'm going to keep Imperial Hint on the ticket, but try to beat him. Now, I don't think we're going to beat him with Always Sunshine, the six horse. I think the um, the six horse is just, you know, just overmatched. I think this, this is too tough a spot for this horse. However, back to the point about the track conditions and, and if it's wet, the horse is four for four on the mud. Wow. So, wow. um and uh, and has you know been in the money uh, thirteen out of uh, seventeen times at this distance. So we look at the uh, distinctive B Peter Miller's other horse. Mm. Uh, I see why he's got him entered. I mean he's he's a good California uh, sprinter. He's pretty much specializing this distance. Uh, you know over half of his races in lifetime have been at this distance, and in those races, uh, twelve out of fifteen times, uh, let's call that eighty percent in the money. Uh, so I can see, and it looks like he will need to be up near the lead as well. So, you know, in terms of speed handicapping and, you know, pace makes race, another Wayne Lucas quote, which is, you know, the, uh, the rate of the pack is dictated by the speed of the leader. I think that you're going to have possibly three horses really going hard for the lead. Uh, promises fulfilled, yeah. uh, Imperial Hint, and probably this, uh, Peter Miller, we'll call it the Peter Miller rabbit. <laughs> um, we'll see how that works out. But, um, which leads me to the horse that I like the best in the race, and it's Limousine Liberal. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I like this horse, um, not the least of which is that this horse has run at Churchill Downs eight times and has won six. So 75% win rate at Churchill Downs with a substantial number of races, eight out of right. eight right. times with six wins, one second place finish, seven out of eight in the, in the money at Churchill, another impressive 10 out of 12 in the money, and then a three for three in the wet. Again, back to if the track comes up mm. wet. You've got the reigning, um, uh, reigning Eclipse Award jockey, who I think gave this horse the worst ride that he's given any horse since he won the Eclipse Award <laughs> last time out. Interesting. Okay, if you watch the replay, yeah. Bill, Bill, I'd ask you to, and please give me a call after you watch it, but if you didn't okay. get a chance to see the Phoenix, he raced in that Phoenix. I mean, Ortiz seemed like he had this horse under wraps the entire race. He couldn't find the lane. He couldn't find, he just didn't put him in the spot to win, and he couldn't get through, and yet he only got beat, he got beat less than a length to Whitmore and, uh, you know, Promises Fulfilled, who I think is going to run a big race. So, I like the connections, um, I like the horse, I like the rider to, uh, to, uh, re <laughs> redeem to, uh, himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, I think yeah. it's a chance to redeem himself, yeah. um. And for that reason, I like him uh, as my top choice. And then, of course, the last horse in the race, Roy H., uh, Peter Miller's uh, defending, defending champion. Uh, this horse is, um, you know, this horse 
had has had a very good uh, second part of the career. If you look at the age, six years old. I love that they brought him to Dubai, and looks like he came on like gangbusters. I think I saw the replay of that race, but um, you know. But then, he, and, and then I think I call it the Dubai factor. He took right. some time off, came back to Del Mar, kind of ran a little flat in the Bing Crosby. Um, you know that. That and that that might be a little bit of a bounce because you think uh, you know the horse was the favorite in the race and didn't win, but then I think redeemed himself with Paco Lopez um, at Santa Anita on the sixth of October. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming Peter Miller's going to have his horse sharp. He wins at 22 percent. I think this is the horse he wants to the, to feature um, in this race. Although you know, again, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Distinctive B makes a good showing because I think he's a he's a good sprinter. But um, I think Roy H. will lay off this pace just a little bit, I think, as will Limousine Liberal. And, um, and I think that if the two horses that I expect to be at or on the front or near the front, Imperial Hint and Promises Fulfilled, get in a protracted speed duel, they would have to be great. And they may be. They may be. They, but they would have to be great to hang on and win. I think you're going to have, uh, I think you're going to have Limousine Liberal and Roy H. breathing down their neck. And then again, back to my point about Wayne Lucas' Warriors, Warriors Club. You know, if the race falls apart, which is good. There you, um, yeah, these things yeah. do happen, right? These yep. things happen. We've seen races fall apart before. Yep. And, um, you know, if it falls apart, then maybe that's where uh, maybe that's where Warriors Club maybe picks up some of the pieces. So for my uh, selection, Bill, I like Limousine Liberal on top. Um, from a tri-key standpoint, I'll go with Limousine Liberal. Over promises to fill the Roy H and Imperial Hint Superfecta. I'll include uh, Wayne Lucas' horse with Warriors Club. I'll work that ticket up and down. I'll put those horses on top of like Limousine Liberal. And in, in the in the event that Jose Ortiz gives the horse another consecutive bad ride, I don't think he will. You know, John, I, so, I really like the way you approach this race too. And that you know, your first thought was who's not in it and where did they decide to go for lesser purse money. Um, you know that that tells you how hard knocking the field is that that stays in. One of the things I noticed as we were going through this that I thought was pretty interesting is Imperial Hint is over two at Churchill. To your point about Wayne Lucas's, uh, you know, it's a mm-hmm. different different kind of service. And you know, I, I was at Belmont uh, the day of the Vosburg, and and I mean, that was nothing but a workout. I mean, there was that horse was never tested at all tested, um, yep. you know yep. completely under wraps um i think i think really the whole way uh and but you know that over two you got to look at that and say well you know what does that mean uh and look we're always looking for a price right but and then when you find a horse who is six for eight on the surface you know and you can get and i think you're going to get every bit of six to one honestly uh number one uh Number two, I I agree with you. I don't see Jose Ortiz making that mistake again. Particularly, by the way, when you were calling that out, I you know I looked at the line. It's a five horse field, and it says altered in and out the lane. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, five I mean, horses. he got in trouble with five horses, yeah. and that was just, and that's what you get with some of the other riders. And you know, we've had this conversation about the human angle, the trainers, what their percentages are, the riders. You know, Jose, he's too good a rider to have given the ride he gave this horse in that race. And I don't expect him to do that again. I expect him to give this horse a great ride. Hey, John, um, just to pivot quickly, um, is speaking of the sprint, you had a great story uh, about a great price on a great horse with great connections uh, that you hit on in this race uh, quite some time ago. Can you just tell us quickly about that one, too? Absolutely. It was uh, Squirtle Squirt. It was Jerry Bailey. 
it was Bobby Frankel. Um, Bobby Frankel hadn't had a lot of success in these big races, but um, I just really loved this horse. I had seen the horse race at Saratoga, and um, I thought he was very impressive. Um, I've always liked Jerry Bailey. I've always kept an eye on him. Again, that's that human angle, a jockey that you just got to watch. And, you know, when you start looking at races, I say, who are the jockeys in this race? And who are the jockeys that logically win these kinds of races? And then, you know, he certainly came to the top of the list. I liked that he was coming into the race sharp. I liked that it was in at Belmont. I think Bailey is very, very good everywhere he's ridden. But I thought the horse was just, and I just thought he was value at 9-1. to one. Uh, I, I looked at the race. There, were, there wasn't like a real chalky chalk in there. I think um, Kona Gold might have been like 7-2. to two, And, um, you know, there were a couple of horses, 4-5-1. or five to one, But I just thought he was just a really, really good bet. And so what I did was I, um, it was the um, Breeders' Cup in New York after, immediately after 9-11. Yeah. And there's a lot of security going in. I didn't know how the lines were going to be. So I went and I did more homework than I normally do. I like to see what's happening at the track. I like to do my homework and then watch what the, the flow of the track is. And I was with Tony, and I said, you know, I'm going to get all my pick three tickets, and I'm just roll them. I'm going to get them in early and have them in my pocket. And I was just very fortunate because I um, I didn't second guess and talk myself out of a couple pick three tickets, and uh, you know that pick three, uh, as I recall, was paid over two thousand, and I had a few. T- I had another pick three going after that, so I had a very very good day. But <laughs> Portal Sport was the reason why when Bailey won that race, um, I was uh, I was in Fuego. You never forget that. No, you never forget. Never forget when you win one of those. No, um, one of those races like that. So joining us to talk about the Breeders' Cup Mile on the turf is Ed Harvey. Ed is the unofficial mayor of Floral Park, New York. He's a historian of the game, and more importantly, he is the host of the best Belmont Stakes event on the grounds every year. Ed, uh, you've drawn the mile for us. As I said, it's a turf race. Yes, thank you, Bill, for that introduction. And yes, I have. I've I've looked uh, at all the horses in this race, and I think the star, and this has been a horse that's been a star for three years now, Oscar Performance, yeah. as without a doubt, is one of the class horses in the field, loves the distance. The jockey-horse combo has been in place since day two. Um, good figures. Run run uh, once at Churchill, didn't run so well, but throw that away, and I think this horse loves the one-mile distance, and um, it actually should be favored for this race, but... I go beyond that, and I start looking at a couple of interests in the other horses, specifically down on the rail. Now, now, Bill, I think the weather conditions up until now have been not favorable for a firm course. However, mm, this race quite. runs on Saturday. Uh, so tomorrow's racing Friday may be soft, may be yielding, uh, hopefully it gets good, but I think on Saturday we'll probably see something like a good track. Uh, I found two horses down towards the rail, one master, which is the number one horse, mm-hmm. uh, European, and probably the only European horse I like out of all of them. He's uh, run with a lot of weight on its back over the course of its career. It's going to come in a little lighter than normal. Uh, the added furlong, I see, I see in past performances, it's come running quite late. And mm. most of the races it's run have been in the six, seven furlong distance. I like the idea of this coming on an additional furlong. Uh, this, this trainer is retained by Godolphin, as is the jock. It's in top form. We're going to have a much smaller field here. Uh, I, I like the the chances there. Next shares, 
who hadn't done much for his, the majority of his career, has come on up late with the change Absolutely. to to the new trainer mm-hmm. and the new jock. Last race looked beautiful. Um, came in first uh, in Keeneland, Shadwood Mile, big price. Uh, I see no reason why it would go in reverse. I like the like the position, similar to how it won the, the Shadwood, Shadwell on the rail. And Catapult, another horse I like. Uh, since leaving Bill Mott and joining John Sandler, this horse is also in top form. Workouts look great. Added a little weight. Doesn't really bother me that much. So I, I think that's the second favorite horse I have in here. But the one I landed on was the number 12, Analyze It. Which, surprise, surprise, is a Chad, Chad Brown. Brown. <laughs> He's got to win yeah. one of these, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, in Keeneland... Back in uh, April, we ran on a yielding course. So if this course is, has some give to it, um, I suspect it's going to like it. It kind of ran and w- ran away from the field in the uh, Transylvania. And um, I like its chances. It's working out well. Um, and those are, the, those are the horses that have caught my attention. Uh, I spoke to my, my uh, uh, Irish setter dog here, Duke, and he has no preference for any of those and suggests everybody pay attention to the past performances and more importantly to the weather conditions and track conditions. Well, you know, uh, Ed, you made a couple of good points. Oscar performance is clearly, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a grade one performer, right? And he's, he's going to be on the lead. Um, but you know, the ground is going to have some give in it and we all know it's harder to maintain the lead when there is some give in the ground. Um, one master, the one who you mentioned, uh, one thing I noted, uh, and I always, I always like to look for this when the European trainers send them over for the Breeders' Cup, is how does the trainer do uh, sending horses over here? And that trainer, I can tell you, he only sends over serious runners. I think he's had, he's shipped five in the last five years, and four of them have run in the money. So he clearly doesn't send anybody over for the trip. But um, I, I actually like your pick of Analyze It also because um, – and, and look, anytime you can get six to one on a Chad Brown horse, you've got to think about that, first of all. Um, sure. Second of all, that last race does not look good that he had on paper, but you know, and I know sometimes, who knows, the horse woke up that day and he just didn't feel like doing it, or, you know, they maybe they didn't ask everything of him because they wanted him to be ready for this one. Who knows what it was? Sometimes a, a handicapper is best off just drawing a line through a race that doesn't fit the rest of the pattern. If you do that and then you look back at the rest of his races, especially on good and yielding ground, that horse is right that that horse is right there. No question about it. Yeah, Bill, you're right. You you gotta look at more than just the last race. So uh the overall form and and quite frankly, you know, this is the time of year where these horses are being pointed to. Right. So uh it, it's important to take that into account. These trainers and the owners are are not stupid people, so they they're coming here, and this has been the goal the yes. whole year. Yeah, am I gonna am I gonna push them for a four hundred thousand dollar purse, or am I you know when there's a million dollars, or it's a million, it's two million, two million, you know uh, down the road, mm, I'm I'm gonna maybe not gonna push them as hard in the four hundred thousand dollar, whatever the their purse was in that last race, you know, uh, I, I'm gonna and wait that, for the two million. It's all about the breeding. Yeah, that's what they call it. The Breeders' the Cup. Breeders' Cup. <laughs> very good, Ed. Hey, listen, thank thank you very much. That's a great analysis. Uh, we will be watching all these picks, uh, seeing how we do. But uh, I like your thinking, and I'm looking forward to seeing the race tomorrow. Yeah, Bill, it was a pleasure, and hold all tickets. <laughs>
So joining us to talk about the Breeders' Cup distaff is Damien Tossey, who some of you may recognize him. Uh, he spent a lot of time in the past uh, at the Saratoga Windows cashing tickets on the great sprinter AP Indian. Uh, Damien, I know you uh, did quite well on that horse, and uh, you were probably had a lot of people behind you backed up in line while you were cashing your tickets. But in this case, you've uh, drawn a tough race, the Breeders' Cup distaff, because, you know, uh, to me, this is one of those races you look at and you say, well... If Abel Tasman wins, everyone's going to say, yeah, the best horse won. But if she loses, everyone's going to say, well, you could see that coming. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, there's obviously other good ones in there, too. Modern Boy Girl, you know, top three-year-old mm-hmm. Midnight Pursue, who won on the controversial DQ and, and at Park. So um, I don't envy you having to break down this race, but I'm going to take a lot of notes, and uh, hopefully you'll give us a winner. All right. We'll see, uh, see what we can do here. All right, so um, yeah, so uh, the the distaff it's the ninth race, uh, mile and an eighth, uh, fillies and mares, uh, three and up. Um, like you said, there are a couple real standout horses in this race, in my opinion. Uh, so what I'll kind of start with, I'll just go through who I think are the standout horses uh, with the best shot, uh, and then I'll give you uh, kind of my play yeah. and how I would how yeah. I'm playing this race. Um, so the first, uh, and most obvious choice, uh, Abel Tasman, uh, 7-2 morning line, uh, which is crazy and won't be anywhere near that number, I don't think. No, I if it is, I'll, I'll, I'll have the house on if she's anywhere near that number. <laughs> um, but, uh, I get it, I guess, coming off a, a tough race in the Zenyatta that I'll, I'll give her a pass on. It's her only real bad showing in her career. Um. She loves the distance. Um, it's China Horse Club, Bob Baffert, Mike Smith, rinse and repeat. Hmm. Are they uh, any good? Yeah. You know, yeah. Baffert and Smith went at 42%, and that's crazy in the world of horse racing. Um, you know that. So uh, yeah. she's made, like I said, loves the distance, made over half of her money in her career at the distance. Um, good call. You know, so yeah. she'll definitely be there. Uh, definitely be there at the end. Um, another strong contender here, the seven, uh, midnight Bisu. Um, again, I like playing, I really like the, the trainer jockey combo angle. Um, this one, the, they don't win together historically, but it's two guys, Asmussen, who's super hot, wins at 21%. Um, he's at 24% in the last 30 days. Yes, Johnny Velasquez. Um, he's a twenty percent winner. He's fifty percent in the money right now. Um, so I could see them being there. Um, I think he would. I think she would have beat um, Monomoy Girl anyway at Park. Okay. Um, uh, I think she was coming. Um, that's a tough one. That's a, that was an odd race. It was uh, an definitely. Odd race. I guess, I know, it was uh, an odd race. A lot of people didn't like. A lot of people did not like that takedown. Um, but you know. It is what it is uh, in the sport, but uh, that arguably, I think, was her, her best race mm. to date. Um, you like to see a horse trending in that kind of direction. So, um, you know, she should be there at the end, too. Definitely another horse you don't want to leave off your ticket. Um, third standout, I think, is uh, Monomoy Girl, uh, the horse that, you know, that controversial takedown there. Uh, if you If you cut out the takedown, um, that she's six straight wins. Mm. Uh, another 
combo, Brad Cox and Florent Giroux. Oh, they went at 30% together. Uh, excellent, excellent numbers. Undefeated at the distance, which is big. Um, I love seeing things like that. Uh, never out of the exact at Churchill, uh, two and one mm. uh, in three races. Uh, you love to see things like that. Uh, never out of the exacta in her entire career. So, you know, another one. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely yeah. has to be on the ticket. Yep. Um, so for my pick, uh, the direction I'm going to go, I really like the 10 uh, blue prize. Uh, I'm a okay. big Jersey Joe Bravo fan. Um, uh, again, my angle, the Jackie trainer combo went in at 45%. Uh, so I've actually had this horse has been a setback of mine uh, since her debut in the States. Uh, she came to Churchill down in 2017. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, had a, had a bad start. Um, and coming into the stretch, she was uh, back in the pack and she just mowed down the field, uh, ended up finishing second. Um, but it was just one of those races you watch and you say, okay, I'm remembering that horse. Cause that, that one's, that okay. one's special. Good. And, yeah. uh, she really has been her whole career uh, since coming up to the States. Uh, loves the distance. Uh, never off the board in the distance. Uh, never out of the exact at Churchill. Um, super strong horse. Uh, let me see. I think her two best showings were at Churchill, too, and at the, the mile and an eighth yeah. distance. Yep. Uh, well, you, you hit on something uh, that I... I began noticing this summer particularly and i know you spent a lot of time at saratoga obviously and i do too um man when jersey joe got on a horse up there in saratoga that horse got a ride i mean that horse was ridden yeah. for everything right and uh right. you know um you're gonna get you're gonna get everything you can out of the horse with with joe on on him there's no doubt about it absolutely he, he's uh, i really like jockeys like i think joe he never puts a horse in a position where it can't win um you know how many times have you had money on a horse and you're, you're watching the jockey floating in and out and trying to find a seam and you're just thinking to yourself, what are you doing right now? Uh, I don't, I don't feel like you get that with Joe very no, often. I would agree. He, he, he finds, he finds the seam. He puts himself in good spots. Uh, he's, he's a smart guy, a little bit of a, uh, I guess a, you know, personal story. Uh, he, he picked up, uh, um, one of Tony McCarthy's horses, uh, I guess my, we'll call him my uncle-in-law. Uncle-in-law, okay. Um, yeah. That's good. Yeah. 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 Uh, spring, so he picked up Spring of the Sky, who uh, always, always, always is on the lead. That's the way he's run his whole career. And uh, Joe picked him up, and uh, he said, I'm going to come from off the pace. And they <laughs> said, don't do that. And he said, no, I'm going to. And he did, and he was right. And uh, he absolutely got everything out of that horse that day, and it was a uh, it's a beautiful race, and we all made some money. We can thank Joe for that, which yeah. uh, I'll take. Yeah, yeah, um, he he, you get the whole package with Joe, right? He's he's got opinions, yeah. and uh, look, you know, uh, like I said, he's he's going to give the horse a ride. There's no doubt about it. And look, it's the Breeders' Cup. How often are you going to get? Because I think you're going to get every bit of six to one with Abel Tasman and 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 Monomoy Girl and Midnight Bazoo in there. Uh, how often are you going to get six to one on a horse that's five times five out of five in the exacta at Churchill? It's just you know it's it, it doesn't that's happen. The thing. It, it's a horse that traditionally, when you look down the form, is uh, uh, usually a, a heavy favorite or very close to 
being favored in that race. The last time, you know, she wasn't, you know, in single digits was uh, in 2017 in Keeneland on her first race back off a layoff, and she won that one too. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but uh, she's a a strong horse. That's my play. I'm just going to, I'll have her and, and all my, all my exactos and my tries. I'll better vertically as well, uh, horizontally as well, and see if we can't steal one now with those standouts there. Kind of uh, mix like her in. I like you thinking. I like you thinking, Damien. So, uh, Damien, I know too. You've got a, a different kind of big score story, but it's a it's a good big score story. I think you are. Uh, you're going to have to fill me in on the details here, but you are responsible for initiating another member into our confederation of degenerates. Uh, by turning a friend on to a long shot last year. Do you want to tell us about that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So this was actually his pick on his own. I did not turn him on to this horse. I wish I had had this horse. <laughs> okay. I would be a richer man today if I did. Uh, but he's my, my good friend, uh, Mike. He is actually going to be a uh, groomsman in my wedding, which is next week. Uh, he's the godfather of my child. Uh, he and his... Uh, Wonderful girlfriend just bought a house, and if there is a lien on it in the next couple years, uh, you can probably blame me <laughs> because I got him into the racing world. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was last year uh, at the uh, Breeders' Cups, the Philly and Mare Sprint, uh, Unique Bella, the even money favorite. Um, so it's a strong race. We're all kind of just watching in the basement at John McCarthy's house, and uh, the race comes into the stretch, and the five is catching on the outside, and Mike starts screaming, come on, five, come on, five. He's yelling, he's yelling. Uh, she catches uh, catches the finish at the wire. That's right at the wire. 66 to one, right at the wire, by a nose, 66 to one, uh, $135 winner. Uh, the Superfecta paid like $170,000 or something like that. Um, but he was screaming he made a couple hundred bucks the easy way you know with like a like a five dollar winning show bet hooked and, for life uh, now hooked for life yeah <laughs> and of course and of course that's not good enough the first the first words out of his mouth are oh you know i uh should have had the exacta there too and it's like okay yeah a degenerate <laughs> yeah. has been born so, uh, well i'll tell yeah. you a funny but, story about that one too is um so I was on the second place finisher that day, who was fourteen to one, great price, and you know, as you said, just got nailed at the wire. Now, Bar of Gold was an entry mate with Highway Star, who was arguably a much better horse in that race. So I'm watching the race and I'm cheering my, uh, I think she was the fourteen, Amy's Mesa, um, going crazy. And I see this horse coming on the outside. I'm like, oh no, here comes Highway Star, and you know. They, yeah. they finish. I'm like, oh, I got beat by Highway Star. And I'm like, it was Bar of Gold. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bar of Gold, which, which probably saves you a good amount of money, you know. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you got, uh, you know, if you're betting across the board yes. there, you, you yeah. steal a couple extra bucks having that bomb hit on top. That is true. Uh-huh. That was the only consolation but I had. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. That's the toughest beat, too. There's nothing worse than having a horse you really believe in, especially at at a big price and, and they're there and then they get beat by a bigger Just, price. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. but, uh, that is, that is horse racing. You, you live to bet another day and, uh, hope you don't lose the house in the process. That's right. That's right. Moving on to the Breeders' Cup turf, social media contributor, Dr. Bill Mentes and his partner in crime, Mark Kramer, who many of you may recognize from his various handicapping tomes and tomes about life. Let's put it that way. And handicapping life. 
Send me via email their thoughts on the Breeders' Cup turf. Uh, they both are pretty astute handicappers, and when astute handicappers tell us you can't beat the favorite, you better listen to that. Um, they both specialize in analyzing European races, and basically what they're telling me is that it's pretty hard to disable and able in this race. He's won eight in a row, uh, nine out of his ten starts. Um, the last one, the Arc de Triomphe over in uh, France. And, of course, many question that the, the fact that the Arc de Triomphe winner has never won the Breeders' Cup turf. But uh, Enable, and I, I agree with, with, with Bill and Mark uh, on this point, Enable is a different uh, sort than the other Arc winners who have come over here. Enable is fresh. Um, only has two races to date in 2018, other, unlike other ARC winners who came in at the very hard campaigns. This is a, a very different setup, and i got to believe that trainer John Gosden and Frankie Dettori, the jockey, uh, had this race in mind all along. After all, it is a, uh, a $4 million purse, so why wouldn't you have that in mind, right? Uh, you know, Mark and, and, and Bill both pointed out that in the ARC, the only horses, uh, well, put it this way, Talismanic and Waldgeist both dropped to the rear of the field very early, and only Waldgeist rallied into that uh, into that race late. So, uh, you know, Waldgeist is another one they recommend you take a look at. Um, prior to his defeat in the arc, he had won four straight, including a grade one. So, um, you know, you have to think about that one as well. Talismanic, as I said, is the other um, Euro, but... Uh, both Bill and Mark were much more impressed by Waldgeist's last race in the arc rather than uh, Talismanic. You know, these turf routes um, tend to be dominated by uh, the foreign horses. Uh, of the U.S. contingent, Bill and Mark both recommended that you take a look at Channel Maker, who had that nice front-running victory in the uh, Turf Classic Invitational at Belmont uh, in September, late September, and that was on the soft turf. So you got to keep that in mind as well. Um, you know, got away with a with a fairly easy pace, but it was on soft turf. So actually, on, on soft turf, that it, it, pretty solid. Um, but you know, the the favoritism in in Bill and Mark's eyes uh, really goes toward um, the Arc de Triomphe winner, who would be the first to double the Arc de Triomphe and the Breeders' Cup turf. So. Um, there you have it, and uh, let's mark this. Let's uh, make special note that here we have a turf race that does not feature a Chad Brown winner, at least on paper. So uh, good luck in that one, and we'll move on to the Classic. All right, and last but not least, joining us to analyze the Breeders' Cup Classic is another Classic, except this one's with a capital K. That's my older brother, Neil Duncliffe. So, Neil, I know you've done a lot of study on the Classic here. Why don't you tell us uh, what you see? All right. Well, I, I didn't start looking at this race until yesterday, and I didn't know I was going to be doing this until this morning, but something had jumped out at me yesterday, and that's what I want to talk about. Um, I think you can make a case for almost every horse in this race. If he ran his best day, you know, what kind of chance he would have to win this race. I think there's at least one horse in here whose best race has not yet been seen, but I think there's a very good chance his best race will be seen on Saturday. And that's why I'm going to bet this horse. And the horse is Gunavera, uh, the number four horse. Why do I think this? Um, he was a good three-year-old. He's now a four-year-old, which is, I think, usually the best racing year for many horses. He was a good three-year-old. He finished third in the Travers with trouble. I'm sorry, second in second, the Travers last second, year right. with trouble. Yep. He was fifth, fifth in the Classic. 
uh, all over the track in the final five eighths of the race. Um, ran a good race. He kind of threw a mediocre third in a grade one at Gulfstream in January. Then they took him to Dubai, which I think is a graveyard for a lot of horses. Mm-hmm. And he, he bombed in Dubai, in Dubai, and he was gone from the races until August. Um, well, when they brought him back, he seemed to be fitter and more focused than he had been uh, earlier. So he ran an a, a optional claiming race, uh, a mile and a 16th. He ran a 142, very good time. They took him to the... Um, Woodward at Saratoga. And <clears throat> I just want to read the running line on him from the Daily Racing mm-hmm. Form. A four to six path in the turns swung into the 10 path at the quarter pole. Well, I'll, I'll, I've watched this race on, on the replay. He was certainly never on the rail of the second or the third path. If he found the fourth path, he wasn't there very long. <laughs> he was wide all the way. When they came to the head of the stretch and they fanned out, he was running toward the grandstand until he got straightened away, and then he came on. And he, he, was, he wasn't going to catch Yoshida that day because Yoshida had been on the rail. Had the rail trip, for the yeah. First, first six furlongs. He, had, he, Yoshida, had to come out, but he ran many tens of feet f- fewer than, um, than Gunavera, and Gunavera had plenty left. He just wasn't going to catch Yoshida that day. So I think everything's in place for this horse to run a race that – we haven't seen out of him yet. So uh, I also like 20 to 1 <laughs> a lot <laughs> Who uh, in the morning line. <laughs> so uh, that's going to be my key horse uh, in my betting on Saturday. Well, uh, you know, a lot of people like Yoshida, and uh, I did see an argument made earlier in the week on Twitter that if you like Shida, Yoshida, then you have to like Gunavera as well. And I think that's a, a good point given the ground loss. I mean, I. I was actually at Saratoga that day. I was in the grandstand, and he ran by me. He ran right down my aisle, actually. He was so wide. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he really was. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, uh, look, I have liked uh, Gunavera uh, a long time. I'm a little leery that he is a check collector, but, um, you know, there's probably going to be a decent pace in here. Uh, and, he, of course, the Woodward is a mile and an eighth, so this is a mile and a quarter. He's got an extra eighth of a mile to um, get himself straightened out, and I think as good a jockey as uh, Edgar Zayas is, I think that the jockey change here is uh, significant. Uh, you've got a year switching to a jockey who knows how to win grade one races. Um, so it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility. Let's let's uh, and twenty to one. Who doesn't like that, right? Right. Um, the other thing I like about him is that since that race at Saratoga in the Woodward. He has continued to train very, very well. He's got a bullet down at Gulfstream Park West. He ran uh, second out of 26 at another work at Gulfstream Park West. He just seems to be um, breezing as a, as a very fit horse. Well, and you hit on one of my favorite angles. That Gulfstream Park West surface is, as you know, it's the old Calder surface. And that is a very slow and tiring surface. So when a horse works fast on that surface, they are in good shape. Okay. All right. <laughs> so did I talk you into him? <laughs> well, I'll just meet you at the IRS window. That's all, right. all I'll say. Well, listen, that's a great segue. Let's talk about the IRS window here because I know back in the 2003 Breeders' Cup Classic, uh, I think you made me wait in line at the IRS window with your ticket. But uh, why don't you tell I us did. about your, uh, <laughs> your ticket in the Classic? <laughs> well, well, that, that, was, that was a magical day. Um, 
I, I have to say that I, and I, anybody can check this on the results, but I believe um, in the first Breeders' Cup race, one of the horses paid $26 to show. Adoration. And I had a $50 ticket on him because the show pool was so top-heavy to the favorite. I just looked at what was on the other horses, and I thought, geez, if that you know favorite runs out, this this show pool is going to blow up, and it, and it did. So <laughs> that was great. But the horse I went to bet was uh, pleasantly perfect. I had loved him. He really... I uh, had almost a year off between races until he came back, I think in a grade two, and either ran a, won it or ran a very close second. But uh, Richard Mandela clearly had been patient with this horse and um, got him back to peak condition. And uh, when they were coming out of the turn, we were able to see that on replay. I mean, he was way back, but he was clearly the winner. And he just came on. And hmm. while, while I remembered that, he won by a good margin. He actually probably won by half a length, but he had it measured. And, yeah. Um, yeah. That, yeah. And that got us to the IRS window. <laughs> well, it was a very pleasing day, as I recall, and not the least of which, I don't know if you remember this, but we we got to eat at the Derby Steakhouse that night, uh, formerly owned by Georgie Wolf of Seabiscuit fame, of course. But to right. top the evening off, the winning trifecta, we had a great day at the track, a great meal with other people's money, and to top off the evening, the Yankees lost the World Series that night to the Florida Marlins. So a day doesn't get much better than that, actually, right? Well, well, there was actually one more stroke of luck. There was a line out the front door of the Derby um, all the way down to the yes. sidewalk. And we walked up into the Derby to go to the hostess station uh, to get our names on the list. And I asked if there was uh, a table, whether it was first come, first serve at the bar. And the waitress looked to her right, and there's an empty table right there. She said, that table's empty. And we said, <laughs> right, right down. Right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. If if uh, we can collect here on the Classic, uh, I'll meet you at the Derby Steakhouse again, all right? That will be great. That's going to do it for us this week. I want to thank all of our guest handicappers for joining us and for their contributions. Next week, we're going to return to our regular format, but we'll also do a quick Breeders' Cup recap. We're no doubt going to see some history-making performances, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this terrific flight. Thanks for joining us this week also. Let's all go out and make a lot of money this weekend. May the horse be with you.